I've realized that you can't change the world all on your own, but what you can do is inspire and like light a fire in other people to go after what they really care about and do big things for like important reasons and, and go after it. And when you start inspiring and people go after those things, mm. when you add all that up together, the world does start to change a little bit. Kia ora that was Matt Finn. I'm Matt Raymond. And I'm Eugene Bingham. And this is Dirt Church Radio, interesting conversations with interesting runners. Scott Running is back. They never left, but they're back in stock. Uh, we have, we don't have, they have uh, new, uh, the Kinabalu 2.0 with its fantastic beige colorway. Uh, for the dad energy, um, they've got the Supertrack 2.0 and the Kinabalu Ultra RC back in stock, along with lots of packs, sealed jackets, we- uh, we- weather pants, the pants that we're compelled to wear at Kepler, oh, not wear, but carry, the poles. Go to scottrunning.nz and get after it because their shoes are fantastic and. It's good to wear pants in weather. It is good to wear pants in weather. I've, I, have you ever had occasion in a race to wear a pair of seam-sealed pants? Not in a race, no. 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 But I have, I'm, I have I'm always reassured that I have them. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I, I mean, I think generally any weather, it's good to wear pants. Except for very hot weather. Well, even then, come on. Or sexy weather. Family show. But, you Family know. show, yeah. Oh, exciting. Yeah, exciting. Scott Running, I, don't, I, don't, I couldn't quantify what sexy weather is, I, I've certainly never seen it, but uh, scottrunning.nz uh, for, uh, yeah, check out their amazing, amazing stock. Ultra Spire, too, also back in stock. The Zygos 4, which is the, 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 the ruler of all packs. Uh, the, they've got the new Epic, they've got the new Ascent, they've got the new... Oh, what's it called? One of the other ones that's awesome as well. But you should go for the Zygos. Stick mm. around uh, for the... Um, oh, my goodness. What is it? The Astral. Mm. The woman-specific one. The choc- the, with the mint chocolate chip colorway. Come on. Mm. Incredible. Mm. Uh, ultraspire.co.nz for them. I was wearing my Zygos yesterday and just thinking, I love this thing. We've been wearing for Zygos years. for years. Really. Yeah, we've been... We're in Zygos for the longest time. Mm. Wild things. Yes. Um, don't forget you can use that code DCR2021. DCR. Yep. It's very easy to remember. DCR, Dirt Church Radio, 2021. What's that? That's the year. Um, look, you get 15 months uh, membership, VIP membership for the price of 12. And one of the uh-huh. great things about VIP membership, you can basically – earn your money back. Well, you get the free three yeah. months anyway. But if you pop into this store on wildthings.club, you get so many uh, discounts across everything in store. And they've got a whole bunch of new brands and gear recently included. Hydropack, Such Radix. As? Hydropack, Radix, Rab, Orange Mud Packs. Yeah. PLBs. Obviously, Is that if, like- you're, if you're going to go wild, you know, and go deep, deep, deep wild, like not a loop around and the backyard like we're having to do at the moment. But anyway, if you're going to go wild, get yourself a PLB, honestly, worth it. So that's it. personal locator 
beacon. beacon. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And this one's a seriously tiny one, but you get a big discount with it. They've got the Ultra Spire packs as well. So, look, wildthings.club, sign up for the VIP membership. You get 15 months for the price of 12. Everyone's happy. We get a little thanks to Rob. Yep. Uh, and uh, you get your discounts and you basically earn your money back. Go for it. Love it. Mm. They go something like further, faster, they're in Christchurch. Rocky is hairy and so is Badger. Jules is nice and Jack is delicious. Go further, faster now. Go further, faster, they're in Christchurch. Rocky is hairy and so is Badger. Jules is nice and Jack is delicious. Go further, faster now. Dickish Radio. Episode 170 of Matt Church Radio. <sighs> I mean, I asked for another Matt and did I? And we delivered. You deliver. Not enough Eugenes. Mm. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh, my goodness. We've just wrapped up a fantastic conversation uh, with Matt Finn, who will be I – mean, we'll talk about what he's doing, and we'll get to it later in the, in the podcast. But as, as, as you're probably listening to this on the Wednesday, he'll be starting off on quite the adventure. Quite the adventure. He's going to be running virtually nonstop. He's only allowed to stop for two hours at a time. Yeah, Max, he's got to run minimum of 100k a day. He's going to be running until he gets a million comments on a social media post. Uh, and he's doing it all to get us talking about mental health and, and suicide. Yeah. And, you know, I am blown away by how, um, you know, by, by, this, by this journey that he's on and getting people talking. Uh, it's it's incredible, isn't it? It's it's beyond just fundraising, which you know, not to take anything away from people doing fundraising efforts, which is fantastic as well. But but this is something else, isn't it? it seems seems big. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm, I'm I, I feel in awe of it as well, especially mm. for for one who is you know in the springtime of his <laughs> yeah. life. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and you know, we'll, and we'll go through the bio and stuff later on the podcast. But first, I mean, Eugene, we went for a run this morning. Oh. Ah, uh, and how good was that? Um, Loved it. I, th- I think it's been the in the last hundred days, probably the the third time we've seen each other in the flesh. Yeah, and uh, just fantastic. And it's, w- it's a beautiful. Morning. When was the last time that we ran on trails together? You know, we, we we've done the runs that we've done. We did that loop up along the ridge line. Uh, it's back before we two K, isn't it? That we yeah. actually ran trails yep. together. Um, yeah. Oh, and I loved it. It was brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So a good six six months or so, and it, yeah. it is. It was just a, it was just a lovely thing. I mean, what a what a weekend! It, it's felt like this weekend. You know, I did two runs with mm. people this week on Saturday. I went out as well with a with. There was a group of ten of us. Obviously, it was outside. It's within the rules, etc., etc. And just how first how odd it felt. I must admit, I mm. was like, whoa, this is a bit, you know, uh, but. Man, I miss human contact. Eh? It's it's really mm. I I feel so lucky to have actually been able to engage. Yeah, yeah. Um, I went for a walk on Saturday. You know, I'm trying well, to do my re- best recovering. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're still recovering. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. how how was that? How was your? Yeah, what did you do? Did you do the virtual park run? I did the village virtual park run uh, on Saturday. I walked with Suzanne, which was nice. Um, yeah, and then as I said, really enjoyed our run. My our run this morning. Uh, on the trails, it was good to smell the pine cones, pine needles, and uh, you know feel the dirt on my soles. Mm. Um, Matt Grills last week, he got a lot of people yeah. talking. 
He did. He had a, he he had a lot of people talking. I think mm. much like much like this conversation we've yeah. just had, it, it, it was about running and it wasn't about running at all. Mm. Uh, it full, you know, it, it sparked off some really interesting discussion around bodies, body image, you know, yep. like a whole lot of stuff, um, really important stuff. Mm. And uh, yeah, what a guy! I actually, I, I, again, it's not often that I go back and listen to the podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went for a run the other morning and and listened to Matt, and yep. it was it was it was really good. It was just yeah. A, I, was I saw really... I saw somebody comment, uh, you know, how refreshing to hear from someone who obviously doesn't care what other people think about him. He does what is important to him, what's right to him, and the way that he, you know, that manifested itself in the way that he took on jobs, decided, no, that's not for me. I want to do something else. And he yeah. did it, you know. The, e- with the easy option is just to stay there and trudge on. Um, and I thought that was spot on. And and like you said, his, his bringing up that issue of body image around yeah. what are we as runners, you know, oh, I'm, I don't look like a runner, I don't feel like a runner, which is something yeah. that so many of us struggle with but don't talk about. And, you know, thank you to him for, for raising it and, and getting people talking. Absolutely. It's interesting too. One of the funnier things I saw was uh, one of the comments on Facebook. Oh, he does have quite a lot of tattoos, doesn't he? It's like, <laughs> he's known as the mm-hmm. tattooed runner. The <laughs> For tattoo a reason. Runner. Yeah, 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 he is. He has about a million tattoos. Yeah, and, um, he was r- yeah. definitely uh, rivaling Carl Reed. He he looks he looks untattooed, doesn't he? Com- yeah. In comparison, <laughs> absolutely. Mm. I mean, right. So, I mean, I guess on to our main, dis- you know, our yeah. conversation this week. Also, you know, touched on body image. Touched on yeah. Uh, centers very heavily around mental health. Mm. Centers very heavily about discussions around mental health which is is what we actually need to be doing and some of the you know the discrimination around it which which i was you know quite angered by actually i Mm. I didn't recognize that that sort of went on um uh, matt finn i mean his bio he's an athlete um started off playing you know professional cricket uh, and then he talks about, you know, as, as you do, going on from professional cricket to powerlifting, you know, because they're similar. Um, <laughs> he's an athlete, mental health advocate, uh, and he works with I Am Hope mainly to raise mm. awareness uh, and shift stigma around mental health in Aotearoa. In March of this year, which feels like 400 <laughs> years ago, um, Matt ran... Uh, 654 kilometres around the domain, and that's one kilometre for every New Zealander who lost their life to suicide in the last 12 uh, months. Uh, And he broke a New Zealand distance running record in the process. Um, He's done other... As well as a number of bones. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I mean, we'll get into it as, as we go along, but he's done a lot of other things since. And when you consider the fact that this man is 23 years old, mm. it's sort of, it, 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 it really, you know, it's, it's, it's quite an incredible yeah. story. Yeah. And what he's about to embark on down at the viaduct. Well, he's, you know, as you listen to this, he's, he's about to start um, this afternoon, if it's Wednesday morning, um, uh, you know, and, and it was, it's going to be 10 days of, of, of slog. Um, but he's trying to make it fun as well. So, and there's lots yeah. of ways you can get involved. So, you know, have a look out for it. Right. Stuff you should know. This isn't really a stuff you should know, but it's something I wanted to cover off from last week. I didn't know it. I didn't know it. So last week we had the latest instalment in the trilogy so far of Jenny Hurst's greatest greatest runs ever, and I think that's her third, uh, 
But this one was her 30th wedding anniversary run with her husband, Pete, who's also known as Batman. And we wondered aloud, how did he get that name? Well, yeah, Jenny's come through. With an answer. So, is it, so Jenny's wrote in, she goes, by the way, Batman is because he didn't want to use his real name on social media. Uh, and being a Batman fan, he went for Bruce Wayne, which Facebook wouldn't allow. So he became Bruce Wan. Uh, and then a friend of theirs, Kunal, a friend of ours, uh, in particular, just started calling him Batman all the time. Uh, every year th- we do a superhero run from Deep Creek Brewery and he dons his Batman costume. There you go. There we go. We so, thought that was something you needed to know, so we included it in Stuff You Should Know. But, you know, there has been some races too. We, I mean, I think let's just get into them. Um, let's do it. The Valley Ultra uh, on the West Coast and yep. Craigieburn Ranges uh, out of Arthur's Pass there. Apologies if I'm being geographically challenged, but boy, oh boy, the, the weather gods of the West Coast delivered. It looked yeah. wet. And cold and, you know, yeah. like, we saw some very dedicated marshals and some incredible aid stations out there. Um, Gave me flashbacks to Wu2K uh, aid station with, with, the, the, snorkel, with the snorkel yeah. and, and mask and, um, and wetsuits. But Absolutely. Oof, shout out to them. Everyone had a good time probably yeah. after the fact. But look, in the whole hog, which was the 49-kilometre uh, main event, uh, Nancy Jang, Took it out 458.24, Robin Leash in second in 501.10, and Maureen Stanchewicz in 535.47. Daniel Jones won the men, yep. 403.32. Good to see him getting amongst it again. Uh, Danielle Dennison, uh, 427.43, and Gregory Bassam, 428.46. That is quite a margin. Jeez mm. uh, Louise. Um, so the pig which ran his vapor flies. That's right, probably. <laughs> Ran in my socks. Didn't want to slow myself down. Uh, the Piglet, which is 24 kilometres, it's, uh, and taking that was Georgina Thornton in 230.47, Estelle Arundel in 232.14, and Fiona Dowling in 236.26. And in the men, uh, DCR alumni Andy Good, 154.02, and coach extraordinary, uh, Stephen Melton, 209 flat, and Hayden Zervos, 210.42 for third. And in the teacup, which was 10 kilometres, and I don't know why they call it the teacup, maybe because of piglet, teacup piglet. Anyway, Hmm. uh, 10-kilometre run, Miriam Clark, 59.44, Sammy Burke in one hour, 17 seconds, and Pip Baker, who's a junior, 17 under, in 110.40. And for the men, Scott Smith, 56.16, and Ben Ferrier, who's also a junior, uh, 59.08, and Lance Barnes, 104.06. So, the, and I, I'm going to struggle to pronounce this, so could you pronounce it, please? Sure. Coast to Koskai. Ha! Jokes. Coast to Kozzy. Um So I oh, just want to put that in there for Andrew again. Sure enough, it did get a rile him last week, as I predicted. Anyway, came up last week in our chat with Matt Grills, one of the best races in Australia. Uh, commences on Boydton Beach at Twofold Bay near Eden in southern New South Wales and finishes 240 kilometres later at the highest point in Australia. Uh, just 50 runners get to run it each year and um, they've got 46 hours to complete the race. So, uh, again, uh, atrocious conditions. Oh, <laughs> man, very, very un-Australian. 
Yeah, rain, cold, all the things you don't expect. And there were some exceptional results from previous uh, DCR alumnus, Kai Bretz and Stephen Redfern. Um, with that, Joe Ward won in 25-14-48 with Andy McConnell second in 25-33-48. Kai Bretz made the podium 27-08-36 for his third place and Andy Hayden was 29-17-33. He was fifth in an epic battle with Stephen Redfern who came in at 29-17-50, just 17 seconds apart. So and I mean, uh, yeah, oh, wow, amazing. It's a photo finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Stephen was pursuing him, chasing him down and then Andy's crew noticed um, that they were coming and, and sort of were like giving him the hurry along. So after, you know, 29 hours of running, they, they're in the sprint. Um, incredible, incredible. Yeah. So in the women's race, Marie Connor, um, first female finisher, fourth overall, 28, 45, 45. She led the female field at all the checkpoints and was consistently between fourth and sixth place overall. And then she moved up the back up the field in the later stages. Uh, Donna Urquhart, uh, second female uh, and 11th overall in a time of 31.18. And Kristen Brace uh, was third in 32.20.48. Wow. Oof. Amazing. Mm. It's South Africa. This yeah. weekend it was the Ultra Trail Cape Town, uh, and this we got this from Iron Far, which is where you should go for your race fixes. Uh, it was an American sweep atop the podium, um, where Courtney DeWalter and Jim Walmsley won without a challenge from the rest of the respective fields, but certainly faced the challenges of the races. Unforgiving terrain. It says that the 97-kilometer course features 4,560 meters, which is 15,000 feet for those of you who speak in the old money. A vertical gain as it makes away amongst the famed trails and around Cape Town. Runners reach the race's high point of 1,000 meters, 3,300 feet above sea level, in the race's first quarter. Ouch! Uh, with the route alternating between technical rock-laden terrain and more runnable trails. So. Amazing that, results, and yeah, and I guess as well, you know, with the current context, there was mm. a, a lot of anxiety to get out of South Africa from mm. a lot of those athletes afterwards. Mm. So, mm. goodness right. me, let's hit this button. Greatest, Greatest run, run ever. ever. Greatest run ever. Greatest Run Ever, which is the part of the show where we ask you to write into us and tell us your greatest run ever. It doesn't have to be a race or a mountain summit. Might just be a run around the block, you know, that time that you rescued a sea mammal, uh, something that's sung to you for some reason. Uh, you can send them in to us at Dirt Church Radio. And this week, we actually do have someone who rescued a sea mammal on Funny a run. It's a that. first for us. I know. Yeah, yeah I want to see more animal interactions in the greatest runs ever from here forward, because this sets the bar pretty high. This is from Eve Southern. I've been thinking about my greatest run ever for a while now, and although I've run quite a bit, I didn't have any runs that were jumping out as being exceptional. I've had lots of challenging runs where the wheels have fallen off, tears have been shed, and I'm never doing that again moments. Some cool events, some beautiful trails and achievements, but none of them felt like it was my greatest run ever. Until now. It started off as a regular Sunday run. Actually, not totally regular, as we were road running. I love me a good trail, so this was a little unusual. I met a friend at Plymouthton to run 10 kilometers before meeting a run crew for our Sunday group run. We opted a pre-run to add some distance as we were both training for some events. It was a cold, calm morning. We set off from Plymouthton towards Mana. I guess that's on the Wellington coast, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, chatting away and settling into a rhythm, we trotted along the coast. About one kilometer into the run, we noticed something in the water on the beach close to the shore. Holy shit, it's a dolphin and it's floundering in the shallow water. 
We jumped down off the footpath and onto the beach. My friend rang Doc, and I ripped off my shoes and ran into the water. It was an instant reaction to go to help, but then I realised once I was out there, I had no idea how to refloat a dolphin. Which sounds like an obvious, you know. <laughs> well, like, I mean, I don't know, you know. Yeah, no, it's, a, I mean. Like your emergency I my, blanket? I don't I, know. I love this. I put my hands around it to stabilise it from the waves and noticed straight away that one of its fins was stuck in the sand. So I wiggled it slowly up and out of the sand. And then once again, it was free. I guided it towards the deeper water. At this point, the dolphin blew out its blowhole at me, um, which was probably quite frightening, uh, but I was also in awe that I was actually holding a dolphin, which is probably something that not many people Never done that on a run. And I love this part. I don't really know what I thought that a dolphin would feel like, but I was surprised by how smooth and solid it felt. It was also quite heavy, although not a big dolphin. It was an effort for me to get it out of the sand. In the deeper water, the dolphin moved away and was swimming on its own, so I got out of the water and watched it for a bit. Unfortunately, it went along the beach and got stuck again. So out I went for a second time into the freezing Wellington water and guided it back out into the deeper the deeper water. This time, I took it further out and sent it on its way, willing it to go out and find its pod. We stayed on the beach to watch it for a bit. Doc was sending someone down to keep an eye on it, so I put my shoes back on and we decided to carry on running and circle back past the beach on our way back to meet the crew. I think I was running on a bit of adrenaline at that point. I couldn't feel my feet or legs from the coldness of the water. We came back past the beach after about 10 minutes and the dolphin was still out in the deeper water. And, you know, we were really happy with that because it, it kept on swimming. The rest of the run with our Sunday run crew and Jim, my awesome hunt away, lots of chats, no more dolphins and a cup of tea at the big salami to finish. Later that day, the whale rescue team contacted me and there'd been no more sightings of the dolphin I rescued. They think it was a dusky dolphin and could have been part of the pod that they rescued a couple of days before. So my greatest run ever is far from an extraordinary running experience. I think it actually is one of the more yeah. extraordinary running experiences uh, that happened while out of my run. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to top a dolphin rescue run anytime soon. I think that sets a bar. Eve, that is just <laughs> amazing. And I, you know, see on your social media and so on that you have some fantastic runs so yeah. you're saying oh i've never had a greatest run ever you know i'm sure you could have pulled something out of the hat you know but then you deliver that holy <laughs> flipping moly that's amazing um yeah something i can say i have never ever ever done on a run is save no. a dolphin no no. Amazing. Uh, just quick explanation for any overseas listeners doc is not the doctor it's the department of conservation she didn't bring the right. doctor she rang the Department of Conservation, which is our government agency that helps um, marine mammals and other native flora and fauna. Wow. Okay, the rest of you, challenge is on. Come on. Come on. Send them in. Send them in. Right. On with the show. Uh, Matt Fenn, who is an athlete mental health advocate, he is setting out on an extraordinary mission this week, uh, and it will carry on for the next uh, 10 days. Uh, he wants to run until he's, he's going to keep running until he's had one million comments on a social media feed. It is all in aid of getting us talking about mental health. So we chipped in and we had a great conversation with Matt about mental health, about what drives him, about what got him, in, got him involved in these challenges. And this is not his first rodeo. He's done some extraordinary challenges. Turns out, um, you know, he's, he's a, a man with thoughts and processes way beyond his years which i hope that doesn't sound condescending but but you know he blew us both away didn't he matt and mm. um here we go have a listen to this conversation with matt finn 
We have a very special treat on Dirt Church Radio. We are joined from the mighty West Auckland by Matt Fenn. Matt, kia ora, how are you? Kia ora, guys. I'm good. How are you going? Very well, thank you. I mean, wow, you've got a bit on. Um, <laughs> Feels well, like it. Yeah, it, it must do. Um, look, I mean, December 1st, you're setting off on a really incredible mission. Um, can you tell us what you're doing? So I wanted to push myself further than before, and I didn't know what that looked like for a long time. Um, and we played with a lot of ideas. I think the the first time I thought about what I wanted to do for this big end of year event, I think I typed in how far is it to the moon on Google. Um, that was the ideology behind it. Like, let's go bigger than you could ever imagine. Um, that's a very long way, by the way. That might be next year rather than anytime <laughs> soon. Um, and... I landed on the idea of running until we reached a point, something external, something important. Um, so on December 1st at 2 p.m., I'm going to start running and I'm not going to stop until we've reached a million comments on one social post. And the reason behind that being all around raising awareness around mental health and encouraging people to take action and speak up around um, what's really important and, and make a difference in that area. And, it doesn't change everything all at once, but what it does do is show people that there are people out there that care and want to make a difference. And all those little comments and all those little actions by people start to build up and it does become actual change eventually. So in terms of the, okay. So in terms of the comments, like you're building up to 1 million comments on a, on a social media post, I'm guessing that some of those comments, people are going to be talking to each other you know, and you're going to be running, so it's not going to be people talking to you. I mean, some totally. people are going to be talking to you, but they're going to be talking to each other. Yeah, and I think that's the idea is it, there's no right answer, and that's kind of the same with that mental health conversation is everyone deserves a voice and has a voice, and there's a platform there for people to contribute and open up that conversation and start it. And in the same way that there's also no pressure for people to have a big conversation, someone comments an emoji but it's still that act of doing something and contributing in some way. And that's the first step to having a bigger impact. Where, I mean, this is the thing. It is a long way to the moon. Uh, it's a long way to a million uh, comments on a social media post. I mean, talk us through the logistics. Where are you going to be running? So I'm doing Winyard Quarter. Um, right. And we, I'm doing a one-kilometer loop around Winyard Quarter, um, which people shudder at, which is strange to me um, because I probably prefer running in circles. Um, it's certainly a lot easier to fuel and logistically. Um, I can't even imagine doing that distance point to point. Um, and I guess we're, we're looking at – one thing I wanted to do as well is I wanted to set a benchmark standard that we're going to hit I'm going to plan on doing no matter what. So I've sort of committed to doing at least a thousand K within 10 days. Um, and we sort of were like, okay, well, how does that look in terms of um, where does it stack up? And so we started talking to Guinness and we're like, how far would you want to set a record for the longest single stage run ever? Um, because there's a lot of people that have gone out there and run huge distances, but a lot of it is, oh, I did this then and I did this then. What do you want 
it, what parameters do you want in place to, to ratify that? Because there's six-day races and mm. there's this and that, but what is single stage? What is hitting it through the night continuously? Um, and so we arrived on the fact that anything over 1,036 kilometers because of what someone had previously done, um, and you've got to do at least 100K every single day, not averaged out, but every 24 hours, and you can't stop or be stationary for more than two hours at a time which is pretty brutal. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, it's a lot to, again, and I, I've said this the last couple of podcasts we've had, that word epic gets chucked out a lot in terms of endurance running or endurance sport, but that throws up some pretty heady logistics. Like you're going to be, you are never going to get more than two hours sleep or, and you're going to need time either side for personal administration and fueling and everything like that. So, yeah, I mean, how you said we were talking before you said, you know, uh, today's handoff day. So we were recording this on a Sunday. So you've obviously had the, all the planning and everything like yeah. this. And I mean, what, who have you got on your team? I mean, how many people do you have involved sort of going to be supporting you? Oh, there's a central group of probably five other people. Um, and everyone has their role. We sort of, it's definitely not the first challenge I've done and I've learned over time what works and what definitely doesn't work. Um, and we sort of joke about the idea that we started out sort of bootlegging everything and now it's getting to the stage and there's still obviously a long way to go and a lot to work on. Um, but it starts to feel a little bit more like a Formula One team now. <laughs> you know, everyone's got a predetermined role. There's times, there's cutoff dates and, it's all about optimization and efficiency and huge Google Docs and months of planning and stuff like that, which is necessary to make these things even get to the start line, let alone be able to put me in the best position to actually try and do them. We, we're on a podcast, so people can't see it, but you behind you, you've got a bunch of Eastlight folders. So now I imagine them filled with spreadsheets of like yep. aid stations and, you know, who's going to be crewing you at what point and so on. You the should just explain my mind. The crew schedule. Well, when you're thinking about 10 days of 24 hours a day, for safety, you need at least two people there at all times mm. doing six hour shifts. That's about 500 hours. Mm-hmm. worth of friends, family, everyone coming down, trying to keep me alive, essentially. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And trying to organize all that. with, And everyone's got their own stuff going on. Yeah. Um, and and that's pretty amazing. And that yeah. I have to – I there's moments where I have to pinch myself that the idea that people would be willing to support and take the time out of their, their own lives to come and, come and do this and contribute is huge. But is, isn't that a nice metaphor almost for the kaupapa that you're pursuing, you know? mental health, you know, you've got to get, you know, you reach out for help. And and I know I know from doing my own missions, I find it hard to ask for help logistically doing a run, you know. You've had to go, you've had to push through that uh, awkwardness and ask people for help. As I say, what, what, a, what a metaphor for, for the kaupapa. Yeah, and it definitely doesn't come naturally. I think mm. part of it is um, these things become your baby. Like the, I mean, the idea for this started at least six months ago, and so through that, you've there's been COVID, there's been this and that. We've changed the plans, moved things around. It started out with it as a different idea, and especially when it's it's not just a a number. There's that creative element of that ideology behind it that's obviously important, and 
Um, it's so based around social media and, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not so much about the running. It's mm. a platform, a vehicle to elevate the, the cause, which is really important. Mm. And so all the promotion side of it is actually huge as well. If no one knows about what you're doing, then you're not having the impact you set out to have in the first place. So that's obviously creative important. And being able to trust people is huge. Mm. Um, and being able to put literally your life in their hands somewhat. Um, we talk about the idea that in terms of planning, it's my job to take care of the crew and everyone around them before I start. And then once we hit the start line, it switches and it's their job to take care of me. Mm. And that's kind of how I think of it, of how can I make their lives easier and better up until the start and then we, we change places. Mm. Then you just have to hand over control. Which is really difficult. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, because um, your mind is still like people to think about like, what do you think about through these things? And I just do the math. <laughs> like I spend days just going, oh, it's this many kilometers. It's this many, this pace, this mileage, this, this. I look at my watch way too much. And then that's all you think about really. Yeah. Yeah, one foot in front of the other. As you as you mentioned, and as we've talked about on the on the podcast, this is this is not your first rodeo by any stretch, uh, <laughs> and, and just one of your uh, epic missions was running six hundred and fifty four kilometers last year. Um, do you want to yeah? Do you want to tell us tell us about that and and what that was about? It was this year, Eugene. Was yeah, that, you're yeah, kidding was, me. Uh, oh, it was March. Oh no, March. that is that is yeah. blown me away because it was like I'm sure that was last year. That is it was 400 Earth years ago in terms <laughs> yeah. of how long 2022 oh, has been. Oh, 2021. Seriously. Seriously, I thought that was last year. Oh, no. Yeah. And I even ran with you for a, a lap or yeah. two. So, no. Oh, oh, I'm not wow. sure we could call that running. <laughs> oh. It was. It was. You were running. Um, you were doing awesome. But anyway, so, can you tell us about what that was and why that number? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll probably go slightly further back because of that. So, the first – I. The first challenge I ever did was five 50Ks in five days. And that was a fundraiser for the charity Cure Kids because I had a family friend that has cystic fibrosis and that's sort of what's kicked it all off. That was a terrible idea. I managed to finish it, but it was very ugly. We were driving around from um, Taupo to Auckland to Mount Wanganui, all around the place. We got in at midnight. I was battered and bruised and it was not good. But we got there and finished it. Um, and there was a big gap in between challenges because I went away and did other things. And then COVID hit and I realized that I really wanted to do these things again, I guess, and, and, and build on it and learn more and, and try and have more of an impact, I guess. Um, so I, October last year, so just over a year ago, I decided I was going to run for 24 hours wearing a 24 kilo vest. Um, that was tough. Uh, I did it around the track um, and I managed to do 107.2K um, and it was pretty brutal. Uh, I was heavy then as well. I was probably 114 kilos. I was off the back of doing powerlifting. And in hindsight, I think that's really helped. Um, but from there, we were doing the promotion on the radio for that and um, they asked me what sort of progress I thought we'd made in mental health in New Zealand. And I said, you know, the fact that we're having this conversation is obviously huge progress and that's great, but there's still 654 suicides each year that we know of. Um, 
and that's a huge number and one is too many, you know. Um, and they cut that bit out, um, which shocked me because it was pre-recorded. Um, and that really played on my mind for a long time. And I said after after that, that run, I was like, oh, I'm not going to – I'll ease off doing the challenges and I might do this or do that. And it's kept bugging it bugging me and I thought that whole idea of raising awareness and sort of staying away from the financial side of, of giver mm. littles and things and doing things differently, mm. especially when you're going to do a lot of challenges, you know, it's trying to have an impact in a different and new way that excites people. Um, and so I came up with the idea of running 654 kilometers and doing something so big that the media and people would have to report about it. And as because it was for that reason, they'd have to not promote, but talk about that issue and that mm. number and tie that in and almost force their hand. You even can't though cut they didn't want to yeah. they didn't want to do it. And that was my goal. The obviously I wanted to hit the distance, but I'm the only one that cares about that. No one else cares if I run three hundred K or six hundred K or whatever. Um, but that was the goal. And there was we had a seven sharp feature. I was very new to the the PR branding side of all this and um had a feature on seven sharp and within half an hour of that airing i had 20 people around me at the domain running with me having been alone most of the day um and from there probably thousands of people turned up at different times across that week um which was huge it made a massive impact and i wasn't expecting it um you even had the army turn up yeah the air force yeah and i'm still mates with a lot of those guys now a lot of those guys will be coming down to this one and everything yeah, it's great. Um, and you met so many cool people and so many friendships. And, and I think that's part of it is it's so cool the way it connects people. But there is, at most media outlets in New Zealand, there's an article about that event. And that was the goal. And that was huge for me um, and hopefully had somewhat of a positive impact. It's not going to change everything or solve all these problems, but it's one step in the right direction. And that's sort of the goal with each one of these is you're going for a run. You're not going to change the world, but you can make it a tiny bit better through something specific, and that was the goal. And I, um, yeah. I mean that that idea that you have that it's not about raising money; it's about raising voices. It's raising mm. conversations. Mm. I think that's yeah, that's that's really you know that's a. I mean, it's it's going beyond just dollars, isn't it? It's so easy just to chuck some money at something, never think about it again. But what you're doing is and you're getting conversations yeah. going. Well, that's what I want. I want people to show up and then on the drive home, then still be thinking about it, still mm. be thinking about how they can have a positive impact and how they can do this. And um, when you're lying in bed at night thinking about all sorts, you come back to all that. And it, you, like you said, it doesn't sort of close the door. You don't donate and you're done. Um, and it's it feels a lot more pure in some ways. Obviously, there's it, fundraising and stuff is great. Of course. And it yeah, has a course, massive impact, yeah. like yeah. amazing and, mm. and love and support everyone who does it. Um, but I think a lot of it for me as well as I felt like there was, um, I guess, somewhat a bit more freedom and I could be more creative. And, there, and I, it certainly takes the pressure off um, in some ways, not others. Um, but it allows you to go after these things and, and be creative with it. You know, I, I always wanted to work in advertising growing up, coming up with ideas for adverts and things. And then went and played cricket to a high level. And then I found myself years later sort of combining elite sport and those two things together without realizing it. Hmm. It's certainly, 
I'm just reflecting on what you're saying in terms of it's hard, you know, and it's hard to hear. Um, it's hard to hear you tell tell us that and tell the people listening that you went on the radio and they, they cut that bit out, you know, like it's frankly, uh, I, 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 I find it offensive, you know, and I think I find it offensive because I've, I'm a mental health clinician. I've, I've been a mental health clinician for 21 years and, and you're so right. It's easy to give money. It's, it's so easy. And, and working, you know, and, and those of us who work in the field, you give money to mental health. It's like, what are you actually, what do you, what specifically are you doing? And those problematic, you know, the fact that you can't have a talk about suicide, you can't say the word suicide, you can't mention the word suicide by law, isn't it, Eugene? There's a coroner's. Um, yeah, there's there's restrictions in the coroner's act around what you can yeah. report. So, yeah. do you, do you know what I mean? And there's very kind of draconian ways around that. It's it's sort of staggering that in in the 21st century that we can. The, you know, that we still kind of have those deeply held ideas. And sorry to, I mean, I'm not going on a bit of a rant. I'm just sort of supporting what you're saying, but it's just fantastic that you're saying, hey, look, I'm not raising money for anything. What I'm doing is just raising the conversation and it being out there. Yeah. Um, I guess part of that as well is um, I think it can get quite with charities and everyone disagrees about yeah how we should go about this or that. And yeah. people ask me like, so what do you think about this strategy versus this? And it is a strategy to try and contribute and, and make a difference. And I sort of come back to that, that idea that um, we can't all agree on how we should be doing stuff, but we can all agree something has to happen. Yeah. And so that's sort of my, my thinking is if it's just, let's just make small steps in the right direction and enough people start doing that, we start to get somewhere. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, t tell us, you know, you've mentioned, you know, I'm, <laughs> I did the math, you know, like you ran 107 kilometers uh, at, a, you know, at a combined weight of 127 kilos, 137 kilos. You, uh, you know, you're saying you're playing cricket to a high level. What is, what was your background in sport and, and, and running particularly? Is it always something that you've done or is this, is this so, relatively new for you? I was a very chubby kid growing up um, and wasn't great at sport. Uh, was very passionate and loved it and was all about being part of a team and, and enjoyed it. Um, but I was always that sort of chubby kid. And then uh, one summer, I grew about six inches and all of a sudden was the tallest kid in school. And things changed quite quickly and I was good at sport within a term of school. Um, I remember... Um, I was watching one summer holidays, I was watching the 2010-11 Ashes series and I would watch it and then at lunch and tea I would go down to the local cricket nets and bowl as fast as I could and then come back and watch more. And that was my summer. Um, meanwhile, I was growing and growing and growing um, and that weight just sort of all came off and all of a sudden I was an athlete, whatever that meant. Um and started playing up school grades and things, and things kind of happened quite quickly and naturally. Um, and in hindsight, very much went to my head. But it became that I had very little, I guess, self-confidence and, and self-esteem because I was the chubby little kid, and then went in the complete opposite direction because I went searching for it and didn't know better. Um, and was playing 
five sports, doing athletics, rugby, cricket, basketball, everything. Um, and then I started to specialize in cricket um, after a while, just because it was all around um, just, I wanted to go somewhere with it, I guess. And in hindsight, I've always questioned that decision um, because of where we are now. But um, yeah, it's, I, at 16, I moved to the UK to play cricket full time um, alone, left family here and just moved over. Was sort of finishing school on the side whilst doing that. And um, within two years, I hated it. And it wasn't even a decision to stop playing. Um, but it was so tied up in my identity that when something didn't go right, it was the end of the world. And that had a huge impact on my mental health and sort of drove me for, for why I care so much now, I guess. Um, and I... It wasn't until I, I went through a really a really hard time mentally and um, and struggled for months. And I went to the gym. Um, I was going to the gym maybe once a week and catching up with a mate who actually owned the gym. And he knew me quite well by that point. And we were having physiology discussions and talking about stuff like that. And um, we were talking about um, different records and stuff. And and he brought up about the idea that of someone running a marathon um, without training for it. And my opinion was sort of like, you know, it's it's mostly mental if you're able to not get injured or, yeah, I think we'd watch Run, Fat Boy Run or something. You know, you can death march it through it if you have to um, and you can do that. And he disagreed and we went back and forth and then he said, okay, go do it then. And I think in hindsight he knew what he was doing, um, but I didn't and didn't turn down the challenge, took it on the next day and – very, very, yeah, went and did it. Uh, it was not pretty. Probably took eight hours, but got there. Um, it was one of those run, stop, run, stop, run, stop, but we, we got through it. Um, and still, I mean, to this day, I've still, I use the term I hate running. I don't hate running, but I, I don't enjoy the physical act a lot of the time, if that makes sense, but I enjoy the way it makes me feel for the other 20 hours a day or whatever and I think I love the community and the opportunities it's given me and things like that so much that although I don't necessarily enjoy the physical act I also love the fact that it's that it's the something that I I've never loved doing but I do it anyway and there's a power in that um it's not always fun and and nice but I still get out there and and do it and so I guess I'd, I'd always run and there was a, a cricket coach we had. Sorry, I'm going a bit roundabout here. Good there was a um, there was a cricket coach we had in I would have been 13, and um, I was playing in the older team, so I was a bit younger and probably quite soft still. If that makes any sense, that just just wasn't ready for that. And we would turn up to training, and we would have to do probably more than a 10k run which as a 13-year-old is huge. And that was before training started. And his idea was we were all a bunch of um, of just little brats. And he was going to break us down so that we built together as a team. Um, and we were just going to be the fittest guys out there. Um, and it worked, but I, I think I saw – it got me into running and into fitness, but I did see running as a ch- like a punishment. And I still, I still talk to a lot of people about that. It's, it's seen as something that's go run laps, 
go do this. It, it's something which is inherently not fun. Mm. Um, and we have to, we spend years as adults trying to reprogram, and then we get to 25 or whatever, and we go, oh, maybe this could be enjoyable. Well, let's start paying to go and do this. Um, and we flip the switch, but I hate that it's it, it takes that transition, you know. Um, yeah, so I think that's the, the thing is I, I, I stopped playing cricket and I got into these challenges and very much got the buzz. Um, but do enjoy being creative with it, you know, um, and and coming up with different ways we can, we can do these challenges and stuff. And I think that's why I haven't gone and done a whole bunch of races yet. Um, it's definitely on the agenda. We talk about um, Backyard Ultra next year and things like that. We'll see how I'm feeling, but I'm definitely keen on those things. But I think a lot of it for me is I've very much got the buzz of the planning and the ideas and we can play around and do all these things um, rather than turning up and competing against other people. Um, yeah. It's a really nice oh, – nice. It's a really – it's a great way to – to frame the act of running, like uh, what is, you know, Eugene and I, we've been kind of talking about this this morning and we, we got to go out for a run this morning and we're both people who will just run, you know, like it's just a part of who we are and we will run and we will train like many, many people. Um, I like how the, how you frame it. It's a means, of course, it's always a means to an end, but the means to an end is, is, is the, you know, it's the mental aspect, it's the endorphin and it's everything. It's the, it's almost that, emphasizing the engagement and that's that's so important it's it's a really you know like you you're not racing but you're going out and you're going to run a minimum of a thousand kilometers <laughs> it's just i don't know have you heard of uh the concept of masogi the japanese word yes is that yes. the is that the marathon mounts monks of mount hay is that that oh that i'm not sure i think it's it's ba- it used to be based around like water ritual purification and it's evolved in the understanding, I think. Um, and uh, the general concept now, which sort of applies more, more to modern life is the idea that you do something so hard one day a year that it affects the way you live yourself, your life for the other 364 days. Huh. And that's, that's the main ideology why ultras are addictive yeah. is that the, the actually doing it sucks, but, it improves the rest of your life because, and I sort of come back to that phrase of um, the struggle we choose prepares us for the struggle we don't. And when you choose to do something purely because it's hard and you're going to get through it anyway, it builds that resilience and it's a learned skill. And then the rest of life just becomes like a little bit easier. And you just believe in yourself. You know that something such as this huge task ahead of you, but if you just break it down and you start getting on with it, then you get there. Mm. It certainly does flow. You're right. It does flow through the rest of, uh, you know, our, our lives, doesn't it? Look, talk to us about the toll that you know you ran that 654 kilometers. <laughs> I mean, it took a toll on you, right? Like, how was the recovery from that? I understand you got was it stress fractures, plural? Yeah, yeah, four. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Foot. oh good. Yeah, that was yeah. So, I mean, if I go chronologically, so. On the very first day, I got a urinary infection. And a lot of that, I think, was stress-induced. I didn't sleep the night before. I was having panic attacks. Um, and so I'd essentially been up for 30-something hours already. Um, and 
yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've had a urinary infection, but while you're trying to run, but it's like you're busting to go to the bathroom and you can't do anything about it until the pills you've got kick in. Um, and they take about three hours to kick in. <laughs> um, and then uh, on the second day, I was excreting iron out of my muscles. So had dark brown urine, um, which was really worrying because I know that red urine is generally rhabdomyolysis and that's like, that's a deal breaker. You're off to hospital with some push IVs in you. Um, and so I actually had to get one of my mates to come in because I thought I was going to be lying to myself and check the color of my urine. Be like, hey, am I dark brown and dark red look very similar? What do you think? I never thought I'd talk about um, the color of my urine as openly on national radio and TV <laughs> as much as I did as well. Um, but people seem to enjoy it. Um, then there was the second night I picked up a stress fracture in my right foot, or what we suspected at the time, which then turned out to be. Um, and it was actually in the top of my foot, which was really interesting. Um, and they got worse and worse. And I, I bear in mind, I was heavy then. I mean, I'm still heavy now. I'm a bit like a rugby player, but I was 104 kilos then. I'm about 90 now. Um, and yeah, my feet were just taking a pounding with every step. Um, and we go through that stage where the muscles just start to turn off once you get, say, past 200K. There's no, like, you can train as much as you want, but when your calves turn off, it doesn't matter how well trained they are, they're not doing anything. And so you go from rolling your foot nicely and taking a stride and getting some, some um, like, a, a, a decent stride into just your foot slapping on the ground every step, no matter how quick you're going. Um, and... Yeah, over time, that started to break my feet. Um, and it was about two days afterwards. I was fine for probably 48 hours feet-wise. And then all the inflammation went away. And I remember very vividly lying on the bed and um, looking down at my feet. And it was like someone had all of a sudden within five minutes just started hammering at them with a hammer, like just, just going for it, trying to hit nails in. That's what it felt like. And that lasted for a few days. Wow, I mean, I'm um, just, I'm just, yeah. I'm just glad that this was all last year. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've had plenty of time to recover. <laughs> had time to recover. We have <laughs> talked about, we have talked about, I, I, obviously, so much of it is the, the things you don't see behind the scenes yeah. and the, the physio aspect and the prehab and the, all that stuff is is really interesting. But part of it, what we talked about is the bone density you gain through doing that sets you up to do more things like that, and so. I fully expect to break my feet going into this. Like that's going to happen. Um, but some, in my mind, that's kind of okay because I know it's going to happen. And pain is something you can prepare yourself for because it's a really familiar feeling. You know what pain is. You experience it daily probably in small doses. Um, it's more things that are uncomfortable and annoying that get me. Things that like the urinary infections and things like that that are scary. Um mm -hmm. Or the biggest thing was the third night. So I barely slept up until then. The whole thing, I'd got 11 hours sleep out of 150 hours. Um, but I very much backloaded that as well. So I probably had three hours sleep out of three days. And um, come the third, it was the th going into the fourth morning, um, I, I had one person on each arm holding me up. Um, while I was trying to take steps. It took me a whole hour to do a one-mile lap, um, and I was falling asleep standing up, like had my eyes shut, was pretty much unconscious while still 
because my body just knew to keep striding. And um, I was actually locked in my own body. So I tried to talk and my mouth wouldn't move. Like the brain, the signals weren't moving and things like that. And that's happened quite a bit. And even on the second day, my my legs and arms got out of kilter. Once I found my arm and my leg, you know, people talk about the fake running pose when someone's arm and leg are, are both forward. I started doing that accidentally because the pathways just got all muddled up because it didn't know what it was doing. Wow. Um, but that was a bit of a nightmare. That was scary. And it's those things, which are the unexpected things. People talk about going blind during ultras and things like that. That's the scary stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I've had, I've had a flash of going blind in an ultra. Um, and it was scary because it, it didn't last long, but it was just a moment of, um, and it's discombobulating because you're just so, you don't know what's going on. Um, yeah. And I think it's just, uh, you know, for me, it just felt like I sort of put it down to just a glitch in the system. You're assaulting your body mm. and it's something's just going, nope, hang on, we're just having a break. Yeah. But, but you know, you mentioned the the pre- preparation in terms of physio and so on. We've spoken recently to Harita Davies, who just completed the 3,100-mile Shrisham Noi um, race. And she talked a lot about her preparation being meditation. And, and, and preparing the mind, even more so really than the body, it seemed. How do you prepare for something like this, especially knowing what you've been through for 654 yeah. kilometers? Yeah, that's really interesting you bring up the 3,100-mile the race because I can't think of anything worse than that. <laughs> the idea, because I know they have this, this six-hour window they have to stop. Yeah. And I, I think that's the worst part because your body shuts down and you have to shut it down and then you have to try and jump start of the game. Mm. And we talk about the hardest thing, the hardest part of doing an ultra is getting out of the chair. That's the hardest bit. And if that becomes a bed and for six hours time, that's, mm. that's tough. Um, and I think that kind of feeds into that idea of it's um, that meditation side and that mental element of being able to, I guess maybe, be more in control of your mind somewhat and be more present and mindful of you're going to have to put some things aside and prioritize others at times and things like that. Um, and I've, I've, I feel like I've still got a lot to learn in that area. I feel like I'm really mentally tough when it matters and when the lights go on. But one thing I've had to work on and it's probably been my biggest work on is being able to, your 48K into your 50K training run on Tamaki Drive, no one's around. It doesn't matter if you don't do the next 2K. There's very little fitness gains. No one cares. No one's going to know. Everyone's going to still give you plenty of kudos on Strava for doing 48K. That 2K is the most important 2K you'll run in training. And it's the bit that no one no one sees, no one, no one cares about. But being able to mentally go, I'm going to do this even though I don't need to do this, mm. is huge so that when the lights do go on, you have so many more gears that you didn't realize. And that's been a huge thing for me because I'm bad at finishing workouts and runs. And I've always been, let's find the easiest way possible to achieve the goal. Um, And it's all about optimization and stuff, which is great when we get to the event. (laughs) But when it comes to training, that's really tough. Um, And I've had a, I definitely had a big mindset switch in that, in that regard. Um, Earlier in the year I did, I took on um, doing, the world record for the fastest time to ascend the height of Everest up and down Baldwin Street, um, which is about 11 hours. 
Um, and it went terribly wrong. I was, I mean, one of the things is how do you prepare for that? You yeah. don't know where you're at. You don't know. You've got to, it's trial and error. You've got to go do it. And there's a lot of things I'd change. One is I was just too heavy. Um, and being heavy is great for fueling and great for injury prevention, apart from the impact on the most part, because you're able to carry more muscle and you're stronger and connected tissue. But as soon as it starts going up and down the hill, it's not great. And I cracked two ribs doing that just from the impact over and over and over. Wow and couldn't breathe properly, had panic attack breathing because of the ribs, and it all just steamed right. It was wet. It was two degrees. It was not – it just wasn't great. And I remember very vividly sitting at the bottom of Baldwin Street crying in a rental car for about 20 minutes, um, just all the emotions coming out. And I made some notes in my phone because I needed to, like, get something out. Um, and I knew that if I did that, I could just relax for, like, a little while because I'd, I'd – feel like I'd made progress. I'd made a plan. Um, and that was, it really helped me. It was really tough and it sucked, but it's probably the best thing that's happened this year mm, mm. because it showed me that it wasn't a right to be able to go and do these things and you have to work your ass off and you have to have a reason and be motivated to do it. And it's not about, it switched that mindset from how good do I need to be to complete the challenge to how good do I need to be to be the best version of myself? And that was that switch I mm. probably made in the last six months, which has been huge. Mm. Um, and there's still a lot to work on, but I feel like I'm really proud of that progress from, from that point to now. And there's a lot of freedom going into this event because no matter how it goes, because there is some luck involved. There's some, there's that element of sometimes things just ha- like the very best ultra runners in the world. Sometimes you DNF after 50 K it's just not happening for you. And that can happen. There's a lot of pressure around that. Um, but I've left no stone unturned. Yeah. Uh, probably the first time ever, no, yeah. like nothing. And so if it does all go wrong, I've done everything I can, mm. which sort of allows you to go in with some more freedom. Yeah. That, that, I wanted to talk to you about that Baldwin Street um, mission. And, and we've all had, we, we, Matt and I both have had events that haven't gone well, that, that you know, we haven't finished. Um, we haven't achieved our goal. And that hurts, you know. Mm. But like you say, sometimes that's the best thing that can happen mm. to you. How yep. did you deal with that? I'm going to use air quotes, although we're on podcast, you can't see it, but I'm going to use air quotes. <laughs> Failure. How did you deal with that? I didn't achieve what I set out to do. What impact did that have and how did you work through that? Yeah. I think part of it was understanding that um, I had two separate goals that day, looking back. And one was all around, we created this this hashtag called My Everest that was all around. Everest looks different to everyone and everyone's climbing their own mountain. And we wanted people to share that and, and create that understanding that just because you're going through one problem and someone else is going through another doesn't mean one's more important, one's not. It's all really valid. And that's what we wanted to push. And that was huge. And people saw that. And I feel like that made a real impact. Um, and which I come back to is we, I feel like we achieved that goal, which mm. is awesome. Mm. Um, and so understanding that the running side of things, no one else cares. <laughs> I, I got halfway up Everest with broken ribs. Like no one else, everyone else is like, you did amazing. And in my head, I go, that was, that was horrible. I can't believe I failed at that. 
um, I think of it as a loss, I guess, mm. rather than a failure. I feel like failure implies that it's the end of the story. Hmm. And I like the word, I like the loss because I will go back and do it at some stage, which is fun and exciting. And Mike said that to me, sat in the car at the one, and he said, we'll come back. It's fine. Um, but especially taking on the challenges I had, I hadn't lost it one yet. Mm. Um, and I definitely went in there complacent. Um, and yeah, I think it's just understanding that, um, that, that loss is really tough, but it brings things into perspective and makes the, the good ones and the ones that go well, that much more important and better. And I think part of it as well is just understanding that, um, if you're not failing at things sometimes, what you're doing is probably not quite important enough. You're not, you're not pushing far enough. You're not pushing boundaries. You talk about pushing boundaries with events and stuff. If you're ticking them all off, you're not getting the most out of yourself. Mm, uh. And so, I mean, if we're being honest, I should fail at least 50% of the time at these. Hmm. If not, I should be aiming higher. Right. Um, but that's really tough when you're spending three months planning each one and doing that. And that's a lot of the pressure. Mm. Um, because the actual event is the fun bit. The there's a lot of mental health charities. You know, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of NGOs. There's a lot of people who advocate for mental health. How did you get involved with I Am Hope? What was it about them that was different for you? So I didn't know anyone there personally before I sent an email saying I wanted to be involved and and, and do that 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 best run. Um, and what stood out to me was the fact that they are a really small team without big fancy office space and all that, um, without all the government funding, and and yet everyone still knows who I Am Hope is and what they do. And that stood out to me. There was, it was, it's a household name across New Zealand, and yet it's a really small team. And that attracted me because I felt like that was me. That was my personality in the sense that it was all about it doesn't matter what the goal is. We'll find a way to make it happen if it's important enough, no matter what we have or don't have. Um, and that's what stood out to me firstly. And then um, I met up with Mike King and a few others and, and we had breakfast one morning and it was, we were talking about, he sort of gave me permission and said, I want you to go out and do these things. If you want to do them, we'll support you. Um, and I went on a school tour um, and we went into schools and, and did these mental health talks and a lot of the that's one of the main things I am hope does you know obviously they run Gambit Friday which is counseling but I am hope goes into schools and talks to over 250,000 kids a year um and it's the first time most of those kids have ever seen an adult be vulnerable to them and it's shocking it's it's amazing and really scary because the kids all these, the teachers are, are the most surprised in their reactions because they see all these big tough kids and they don't think some some person coming in talking is going to make any difference. And and there's just another speaker, you know, there, there's, there's 10 of them a year and oh well, they'll be switched off in assembly and they're all really engaged and and they come up to us and, and talk to us at the end and ask questions and, and it's really different. And the, the reason is because you have to give them something to hurt you with. You have to open up to them and say, this is what I have struggled with and still struggle with. And you have to be vulnerable to them. And they, especially like teenagers, respect that so much because they don't get it. 
everyone's everyone in their eyes is trying to be perfect and they, they think oh their parents are stupid and they don't know anything and this and that and then you see someone who's say when I go in I'm 23 and and could look kind of like them you know you still still kind of yeah. look like them and, and they're like oh that that's kind of like me and I feel like that and like they connect differently um and that's that's one of the main reasons is it's it's such a different approach as investing um so much into into the yeah into like a younger generation to try and make that that lasting change throughout um and i feel like that's really happening um yeah it's certainly a that's the thing isn't it it's the when you work with and and you see you know a kid you know gosh you think about and to use the athlete thing, you think about like a representative, someone who's on a premier hockey team of either sex or either gender or someone who's on, you know, the first 15 and you think this person's 17 years old and they're 108 kilos and six foot three, you know, <clears throat> and, you know, basically they still have a child's brain, you know, like it's, it's, it's a, it's a massive sort of the physical specimen is very impressive. However, the, the psychology in there is is still very very vulnerable it's it's definitely yeah that's the garden that needs watering right and we talk about that with um some of the the counselors i guess and 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 seeing people as we went into one school and and you the the um the idea of the person you just described was everyone and then you see the counselor and you you just they're not going to connect and one's not going to trust the other. And and I think that's what it is. Is and, and when we go into schools, there's a wide variety of demographics of the people who go and talk and, and, and open up. And there'll be someone you can connect with in some way. Um, and I guess that's what I try and do as well as not just schools, but generally as I try and be really open as much as I can about the highs and lows of it all. Um, and... I sort of, one of the things I come back to is that 654K run at the start of the year. Like I was in bed crying, having panic attacks the night before with terrible anxiety. And then I woke up the next day and broke the New Zealand distance record, you know, and that's possible. And everyone's capable of doing stuff like that. And it's actually really normal to have anxiety and to struggle with things and for things to be really, really bad at times. And and that's like I think half of the battle is just accepting that actually that's not a bad thing. It's just normal, and it's something we all work through. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you see someone who that and that's the thing, isn't it? It's it's the it's the level to which it affects you. It's an appropriate response to feel like you're having a panic attack when you've got something ahead of you that is like, actually, I don't know if I can accomplish this and it, and, it, and it frightens me if if those people that you see who are always happy or always you know there's something there's actually something fundamentally not well or right about that you know if that's just that level of always just like hey everything's great all the time you know there has to be for it to be it's we're hardwired aren't we to feel that yeah. if, if we didn't if we weren't supposed to feel it we wouldn't there's no yeah mm. i compare it to that idea of um when life gets really turbulent for me, I compare it to um, mountains and valleys and it's up, down, up, down, really sharply, sometimes multiple times a day. And there may be some good stuff going on, but there's also you just plummeting low. Mm. 
and that's not what you want but you also don't want a flat line either mm-hmm. and it's all I, I compare it to thinking of like riding a wave and it should it should be somewhere in between and that's sort of the balance I sort of have in my head and guess I imagine what I sort of aim for I guess using different things that can sort of help take care of that mental health Absolutely. Did you think, I mean, with with the plan you're running in Winyard Quarter, I just automatically went to it. This is and this isn't a flippant convert topic. Sorry, my dog is uh scratching at the door <laughs> trying to get in. He wants to join in. Um is uh when when do the bars open? So the way we've structured the loop is there's some flexibility in that because oh, we do have to go up <laughs> GPS data for the, for the thoughts and stuff, so that's yeah. all good. Um so yeah, the, the bars are open, but there's also security and the way we, we structure that. And what actually works quite nicely now is there's probably more crowds outside the bars now than there will be when they open because everyone can move inside. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, and the great thing as well is um, when you've run 300 plus K, people tend to get out of the way of you pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, especially with a, a sort of a little group around you. But yeah, I mean, working through the COVID stuff has been really difficult with this um, and we've timed it perfectly. It's great. We're, we're just ready to open up as, as we're starting um, and have that flexibility. And we've been quite lucky and I'm really grateful in that respect. Um, and I, get, I think part of it as well is it's exciting because all of a sudden everyone can come together and we can do it together and although i'm the one who's doing that distance it's not about me it's about the community of people that are there and doing that which is really cool Mm. um yeah and it'll add a you know that's the thing i guess as well isn't it it'll add a I mean, for those who don't know, the Wynyard Quarter down by our waterfront in, in, in Auckland, it is a very sort of, it's very vibrant, it's busy, and it hasn't been for ages, you know. Mm. And it will add a certain, I mean, you know, we all get that aid station buzz, right? You know, you come yeah. into an aid station and you're like, yeah. So you'll be, you know, it'll be that on, that'll be that on steroids, I guess. Yeah. And we've got live music and stuff happening and DJ sets and all sorts of stuff Fantastic. like that when we can. It's, it, it's one of those things that, um, I think a lot of it is I want to have fun with it. Yeah. It's, it's not the, and that's come, it comes back to what we talked about, about running supposed to be like a celebration and fun and a party, not oh, another day of running. Yeah. Like the whole point is that it's enjoyable because we're trying to make positive change, you know, and yeah. we're trying to and have that impact. Yeah. Tell us about, I mean, it's interesting. We, we all talk about sort of the fun and the, the, and the privilege that you get to do this, right? This is, this is an actual, I mean, it's a, it's a very worthy thing you're doing. It's a very, however, your privilege to be able to do it is also incredible. Tell us about your process around gratitude. I think the thing, the thing I struggle with gratitude is, and I've talked to, I work with a performance psychologist um, and I really struggle with self-confidence and I'm my, my big, my biggest critic, like a lot of people. And um, I started finding when I was, I, I went through that classic thing that people do about like writing three things you're grateful for each day. And that, kept, that took me back to being a kid where from the outside looking in, everything seemed really great. And I felt like I couldn't express how I was really feeling out of fear of seeming ungrateful for hmm. those things. Yeah. And so the more I started to write down three things that I was grateful for each day, the worse I started to feel which I felt like was very individual to me because I was, I was just beating myself up and it it felt like pressure building. Um, 
So I guess I took a little bit of a different approach in that um, someone asked me one day what, if you could do anything tomorrow, which I could, what would you do? And I didn't have an answer. I was speechless, which was really scary um, because you'd think you'd have this huge list of things and I didn't know. Um, and so I went away and thought about it and I, I ended up making three lists. And so the first was things that make me childlike happy, you know, playing with Lego, um, uh, hitting golf balls a long way, things like that, you know, um, things that I could control and I could do at any time that made me that raw happiness feeling. Um, and then the next one was things that give me a sense of calm and things that, um, I guess are, are peaceful, um, things like journaling and stuff in my own way. I just spam the notes in my phone and then delete it because I, I tend to like closing it off. Um, and then, um, things like I found meditation really difficult. I'm quite ADHD and want to move. So I found that, um, singing very loudly in the car had the same effect for me. So that's what I started doing lots. Um, and then little bits of breath work and things. So, you know, finding a strategy that worked for me. And the last one was things that build my self-confidence. Um, and I found that I was able to tie being grateful for things into that self-confidence because I guess I was, I had that confidence because as a result of being grateful for what that was. Mm. And I started to hone in on that and focus on the things. So each night when I get into bed, I just think of one thing I did really well that day. And I sort of have that different, that, that flip side approach to it, I guess. Um, and the more I started to do that, the more I started to enjoy the things I was doing. And as a result, I started being more grateful for them because I was enjoying them. They weren't chores. They weren't things I had to do. They were the things I got to do. And that was what sort of helped me discover the, the, like, that I was grateful for them, I guess. Very roundabout way of getting there. No, um, look at I all. think that it's, it's so individual, right? Yeah. It's that thing of you. sometimes things are wired a bit differently and you've got to find that pathway through. And that's the thing. You mentioned that these are all buzzwords or, or that they're not. They're actually really difficult, complex, dynamic, emotional, physiological states of being, and yet they get tossed out by people, right? Yeah. You know, you can, you can have a gratitude journal, you can have a whatever journal, right? You can write in it every day and you can still comport yourself like an absolute, you know, wheelie bin fire, <laughs> and you're in, but with the inauthenticity of it, you know, like, and it's fashionable to do. Um, and I think you're, yeah, sorry to... <laughs> Your, you know, your explanation. Yeah, absolutely. It's not roundabout at all, man. It's, no way. Yeah, I yeah. think. I think it's. I think, it, and that's what I mean. Is it, it's. Um, I think that's that's the biggest thing I've started to understand is that everyone's going to be really different, and there's no, there's no one answer. And there's things like journaling is a very common thing which works for people, right? But how do you journal? So, for mm. example, I can't write by hand because my brain races and I can't keep up and that feels like the pressure's building and I'm about to explode. I have to type in however quickly I can and get the thoughts out. Things like that. And I think that's the thing is there's some really great things you can do, but it's finding a way to personalize them. Mm. Also, so you own them and they're yours. You don't feel like you're doing something that someone else told you to do. 
Mm. It's it's a it's a routine. It's a putting systems in place that work for you. Mm. I had a big thing um, over the last three months. I used to try and wake up every morning and go for a run. Um, I hate running in the morning and I like sleep. Don't know why I was trying to do that, but everyone told me that I should get up in the morning and run. So I kept trying to do it and I kept sleeping in and then I kept getting annoyed and changed mm. the plan and everything. So now I just wake up at 8 a.m. each day and I don't run until at least noon and it works. Yeah. It's because it's I stopped trying to do what everyone else thought was the best plan and I started actually embracing who I was and stopped trying to change it because there's nothing wrong with it. Mm. Mm. It wasn't self-sabotaging or anything and I just structured a routine that worked for me mm. and it got really productive and made me happier as a result. And in and, and the same way, your reaction with meditation. I can't meditate. Oh, you could you could try and keep going and get frustrated and actually it becomes counterproductive. But instead, you've discovered yeah. you love singing loud in the car. So why not, you know? And I'm all open to I definitely try things, yeah. totally. Like yeah. have a smorgasbord. Like I go through stages of using saunas heaps. Um, and I feel like I like that hard reset when I'm struggling with stuff. Mm. But when things are good, I just don't like them. So mm. I utilize them in different ways, you know? Um yeah, I guess the thing too is like, and it, it struck me when we were when when we were talking. You know, I didn't know how old you are. You know, you said I'm 23 years old. You know, that's the thing. It's like, it's not working for you now. It may work in the future, and things may change. I, in fact, I'm hopeful that when you get to when you get to my age or Eugene's age, you know that things. Have do you know that you're not stuck at being like the same mental state or you know developmental you stage? And you don't know that until later. No, it's mm. oh man, mm. that, that idea. Of, I wish we knew we were in the good. I, I wish we knew we were in the good old days while we were in them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that's that thing of. Um, I think there's this concept. It's a German word. I can't pronounce it correctly. It's torchless panic, and it. Its literal translation translation is gate shut panic, and right. it its meaning. I love the fact that they have this single oh, word to describe a huge complicated yeah. concept. Um, uh, it, its meaning is sort of interpreted as that idea that life is passing you by and doors are closing in front of you or behind you, and you you can, you don't have that freedom and time's running out. And I really struggled with that, especially it was sort of ingrained with me. I'd play up sports teams. It was all about how quickly I could do this. There was a plan. It's do this quicker and quicker and quicker. And I think through coincidence of me or, or as a result of indirectly of me um, having some success this year and, and running stuff and, and, and finding my purpose a little bit more, I guess, and discovering it, um, this is the first birthday a few months ago that I went you know what? Actually, like, I feel like I'm 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 actually there. Like, I'm in the right mode for the age, and you know, like, it, it, you start to convince yourself that of, and it has nothing to do with whether or not you're actually there. It's your interpretation of it, um, and that's something I, I really like encourage people to to like process and think about because it's so hard, and you feel like you should have done this by this age, and it's so ingrained with us. It's all about how quickly can you do this, and who's the best, and this and that. And actually, everyone's on their own path, and there's a real roundabout way of discovering it. Mm. Man, Oscar Wilde said, "Youth is wasted on the young," but I don't believe that um, that 
that's that remark rings true for the general population because it's it's yeah. wonderful to hear you you know express that and you're right like you expressing that forward to your peers to your cohort group is going to have so much more impact than you know someone you know like you said that that counselor athlete divide where yeah. both parties are looking at each other going yeah we need to reframe this relationship yeah I, that really? steve steve Paschimi, there's that the actor there's that uh i can't remember what it was but he's dressed as a kid with a skateboard have you seen that meme and it's his oh. rock band on his t-shirt and he's like hello fellow students that kind of thing <laughs> yeah i um earlier this year i got asked what my dream was um which was a very difficult question that took a while to answer um, it was actually during the middle of the domain run and I had some time to think about it, obviously. Um, and I sort of, I realized that there'd been such a journey up until this point and obviously still on it. Um, but I went through that stage and I sort of talked about it already about how I wanted to be like the best in the world at something. And it was all about me being better than everyone else being amazing. And then it sort of transitioned into, wanting to change the world all on my own, you know, and, and it'd be about the, what, what I was doing to make a difference and sort of as I matured and, and, and understood things better and stuff is now it's kind of probably in the last year, it's probably made that switch. And I've realized that you can't change the world all on your own, but what you can do is inspire and like light a fire in other people to go after what they really care about and do big things for like important reasons and, and go after it. And when you start inspiring and people go after those things, mm. when you add all that up together, the world does start to change a little bit. And I think that's what I come back to that idea that you going for a run is just you going for a run, but what other people take away from that and what you take away from that is the thing that has the impact. And that's really cool. Yeah, I'm just reminded, I'm reminded of the W, and, and of course, you know, Eugene and I studied just after World War II, I, the W.H. Warden <laughs> poem, you know, he says, you, you know, the thing is that you light an affirming flame, and that's the, that's the thing. Mm. Yeah. Look, you've got, you've got a busy week ahead of you, and <laughs> <laughs> it's an understatement. Uh, Matt, we're going to ask you a question that we ask everyone who comes on Dirt Church Radio, and that is Matt Fenn. What's been your greatest run ever? Oh, it's a tough question. So you'd think I'd say the furthest I've ever run because it's what it doesn't have to be that. This is definitely not. Or the the marathon that started it all. Um, Oh, it's a very tough question. Um, I want to say any run that I get run as high because it's so rare, but it's not. You know what? It's running up and down Baldwin Street because it sucks so much, but it's had the biggest impact on everything else more than any other run. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's it. And it's, I think I like the fact that the greatest run is probably the one that's gone the worst out of any of them. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, look, I, I mean, if you take this little impart this little tidbit of advice i mean for a man who considers that he takes the easy way out of everything you're, you're kind of doing it wrong dude <laughs> <laughs> i got some things to work on there yeah yeah you've got to get you've got to yeah i appreciate not, that 
I wish that of embracing the idea that crazy is a compliment. Yeah, that's right. right. That's yeah. right. Uh, you know. Well, look, where where can people people are going to be able to find you over the next little while? And and I guess are you encouraging people to come down and check it out and have a run, or is it something that you're going to need to kind of manage? Yeah, totally. So I think um, obviously on the fourth. Uh, with the way traffic lights sort of kicking in, yeah. all systems go, come down whenever you like. Up until then, if you're around and you want to come down and be involved, that's cool. But we're being very wary of making sure there's not huge crowds there, but Good you man. are totally yeah. open to come down. Um, you know, the last thing you want to be is the next North Shore party, and we're just being wary of all that. Um, you got any ping pong tables there, bro? <laughs> yeah. oh, not quite yet. I mean, I right, probably cool. my brain's going to feel like one. <laughs> yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, and I guess that's the thing is if you're not able to come down and not being able to get involved, then getting involved in social is huge. Um, and I think part of it as well is, is it's not just about commenting and being involved, but sharing it is the biggest thing. And we sort of say that, that thing of, yes, it could have an impact on you who sees it, but as soon as you share it, all the people you're involved with see it and it has that knock-on effect and, and that's how you start to impact real huge numbers of people um and i think that's the biggest thing i've realized as well as you're not going to see and see all that impact and just trusting that it is there and it is happening um but yeah i think it's understanding as well that it's so there's so many people who do get involved and jump on board and and want to be a part of it and i'm so appreciative of that to every Mm. single one Mm -hmm. yeah so people can look out for that social media post on the first it's, yeah, it's coming it's the, the minute I start yep. it's going up it's going up uh, and then so share can, it comment yeah share it comment um, contribute to that conversation I yep. guess yeah um, and you can turn on post notifications if you want some little uh, 100k updates um, <laughs> watch me in a different outfit each day um, I assume a lot of listeners will be on Strava yeah the maps will all be uploaded to Strava every 24 hours um, still figuring out what we're going to call them. Uh, but yeah, there, we've got to do at least 100K every day. So they'll yep. all be on Strava. Nice nice and ready for everyone. Because if it ain't on Strava, then does it count? Yeah, exactly. Oh, What's your happen. point, man? <laughs> it didn't happen, you know? What's it all so, about? Exactly. All right. So there's plenty hey, of ways Matt, people look, get involved. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Matt, thank you so much. Please rest up. And uh, <laughs> I'm hopeful that we can make it down. I'm hopeful that I can make it down. Yeah, and, I'd love to. You know, like we will do everything we can to support and, and, and share the word. And, and thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your advocacy. Thank you for your activism. And thank you for your, just your co papa It's really important. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you, guys. And thanks for the support. Not at all. Even Rigby's behind you, so there you go. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's the main thing. (laughs) Thanks, man. Cheers, guys. Gosh. I mean, yeah. Gosh. Also, who knew that March 2021 was actually this year? Yeah. (laughs) It's such a. It's a. Yeah. Honestly, I was blown away. I was like, what? It was like a. Oh, a bolt from the... No, 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 no. That was last year. I'm sure But if you consider it too, you know, we think about like... So we had Tarawera. By the time we got back into Auckland, we were in level three for a little short, sharp lockdown. And then yep. we had a bit of March and then another lockdown and mm. then March. And then here we go. So yeah, no, it's it's been a, it's been a year of four halves, man. Um, I tell you what. Look, I... 
I've been a mental health professional, a registered mental health professional for the last 21 years. Um, and I learnt a lot today. Mm. You know mm. what I mean? Mm. It's, it's easy for me to go, oh, I've been there, I've done that, I've got the T-shirt. Um, I learnt a lot. And mm. I thank Matt for his... I, I think what I really like about Matt is how he uses running as a means to f- start conversations, not as su- he's a runner who does something. I mean, he is a runner, obviously, mm. but he's someone who runs and he uses running to to spark, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, as a form of connection. It's just, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's really amazing. Yeah, he's quite extraordinary, isn't he? Thank you so, so much, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, go go well, brother. And 23 years old as well. It's like, oh, I mean, Oof. come on, man. Slow your roll, bro. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, keep going. Uh, look, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, we're on social media at Dirt Church Radio. You can email us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com and you can find us on all the podcast platforms. Like and subscribe if you fancy. Leave a review and you can download direct from the website, which is dirtchurchradio.com. Don't forget to write them with your greatest run ever. It doesn't have to be the time you saved a marine mammal. It can just be a run that you enjoyed, uh, a yeah. run that's special to you, sings for doesn't you. Have we, have some, we have had some beauties. Well, we often, you know, everyone's a winner, but, you yeah. know, there's been some beauties over the years. Um, yep. So don't feel, although Eve did set the bar very high just there, you know, don't feel you have to have to hit that. You know, that's not a prerequisite. Send them into us. And by the way, we did have our backlog over lockdown, but that is. We're working our way through it. We're nearly at the bottom, so you need to Get send them in it. if you want us Do to it. keep having them. Oh, man. Thank you to our sponsors, Scott Running, for the Faster, and Cielli. Thank you to our Patreon patrons and Wild Things, and thanks to our editor, Kieran. We've got a great show lined up for you next week, so please tune in then. Kakite anō. Thanks, Rigby. <laughs>